Hi, I'm Drew Beebe, the host of a new podcast from CNN called Great Big Story. It's a show about the curious side of the human experience. And I know that sounds like a lofty idea, but hear me out. Over the course of this show, we'll talk to some of the most interesting people you've ever met, from brilliant code breakers to a couple building their own artificial island. If you're itching for a good story and you're curious like I am, well, I think you might like this show. Give us a listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts. There's no other way to put it. One of the most beautiful places on Earth is now in terrible pain, still in the teeth of Hurricane Dorian, but already counting the dead. And what is happening right now to the Bahamas could be a sign of things to come soon to coastal Florida. Hurricane Dorian hit the island chain as a Category 5 storm, and it is lingering. Five people are known dead on the Abaco Islands. Entire communities there are badly damaged or flooded. People are trapped in their homes. We're talking to people there as well as in the larger towns, Nassau, Freeport, to bring you the full picture of this unfolding disaster. And just a minute ago, we got new information on the storm for the National Hurricane Center. So let's go right now to the CNN, uh, to CNN meteorologist Jennifer Gray. So explain what we've just learned. What's the latest? The, the latest information, really the only change to the advisories, the winds have come down from 145 to 140. Doesn't matter. It's still a very strong Category 4 storm. It is still stationary. And for me, that's the biggest takeaway because this storm is still sitting over Grand Bahama Island. It's been sitting there all day, and it has been sitting there since yesterday when it impacted Abacos, and now it's moving to the west ever so slowly, sitting stationary, if you can imagine. It's almost hard to believe... Um, the fact that a storm this powerful is not moving, Anderson. How long, I mean, is it likely to stay over the Bahamas? Is there any way to know? Well, it's definitely going to be there through the overnight hours tonight into tomorrow morning. We should finally start to pick up a little bit of forward speed by the time we get into tomorrow afternoon. Look at this loop, six hours of time that goes by, and you can see the center of the storm. It doesn't move at all. All It's basically just staying on Grand Bahama Island. And the, and the bad part about it is the strongest winds right there around that eye wall, as you know, Anderson, are the strongest winds. And they've been battering the island all day long. So this is a dumb question, but why does a hurricane just stall over an island? It's basically squeezed in between two areas of high pressure. There's no steering current for this storm to move. That should change, though, by the time we get into tomorrow. That's when the storm is expected to pick up a little bit of forward speed. Now, the storm is now located about 100 miles uh, to the east of West Palm Beach. It's still very, very close to Florida. And that brush with Florida is what is so crucial because depending on how close this storm gets will depend on the impacts that Florida will see. You can already see those outer rain bands pushing on shore. When that happens, we'll get the heavier rains. We'll also get the stronger winds. But the closer this gets to Florida is going to determine how strong the winds will ultimately be, the storm surge as well as the rain. And you can see still a sliver of Florida within that cone of uncertainty. So they're really not completely out of the woods yet. Most of the models do carry it just offshore. But even then, with hurricane force winds extending 45 miles from the center, you're still going to possibly get hurricane force winds on shore and we could still have a major hurricane category three by the time Tuesday into Wednesday rolls around and then keep in mind how vulnerable the coastline is in South Carolina and North Carolina, especially those outer banks where we could have a Category 2 situation on our hands by the time the storm rolls over there. And then also Charleston, any push of water in Charleston is going to mean a lot of devastation as far as storm surge and flooding. So 
The East Coast is definitely not out of the woods, even if this storm stays Mm. a little bit offshore. Jennifer Gray, we'll keep checking with you. Appreciate it. Again, it is staggering because as hard as it is to imagine facing a storm of this magnitude, being in the thick of it, not for minutes or hours, but for a day or longer is something else entirely. That's what people are dealing with right now in the Bahamas, where the official death toll stands at five. Seeing as Patrick Oppen is in Freeport Forest. Patrick, uh, explain what uh, what you are seeing now and what it's been like. It's been hour after hour of just being battered. You know, it was early this morning, late last night, that the storm came in and it sounded like an airplane taking off. And that sound, it's really been the eeriest thing about it. It's never gone away. It's just this constant a whining, screaming sound all day, now back into the night. And here we are on an island that has no electricity. And we are very fortunate to be a place that is protected. We're next to a concrete building, have walls on, on two sides of us. It's protecting. If I walked a little bit over this way, I would be blown into the ocean. There's still category one or two hurricane force winds blowing uh, just a- around us. 10, 12 hours after this hurricane came here, I've never experienced anything like it. And, you know, we think about all the Bahamians, the tens of thousands of Bahamians that are not in such a secure place, that are now in the dark for the second night in a row, uh, listening to this wind, perhaps watching the water rise in their home. And who is going to rescue them? How are they going to survive tonight? It's going to be the worst night of their lives if they see the dawn. And, I mean, there was no warning that this thing was going to just stall over the island. No, there really wasn't. Uh, it came into Marsh Harbor, uh, right, right, uh, the next island over uh, to us, caused a lot of damage there, and, and they moved fairly quickly uh, to where we are last night, and it, it just stopped moving. And that is is really, it, it is the the worst imaginable scenario, Anderson. You have a powerful first Category Five, now Category Four storm, stalled out over low-lying islands, and it's causing a storm surge of over 20 feet in certain places. This island, the highest spot on this island, the highest point of land, is 30 feet. Wow. So we're running out of area. We're running out of high ground. And, and earlier tonight, uh, people came into the lobby of, of the building we're staying. And they lived in the area, and their houses were just underwater. It was all day long. They'd watch the water rise and rise, and their neighbors had to rescue them. There was one lady who had broken her hip as she was trying to get out of her house. They carried her in. Everybody was soaked. They were carrying uh, their pets. And again, um, the idea that people had to rescue themselves, there's no one coming. Uh, And here we are again, another night, total darkness, the screaming wind. It is as desperate a situation as I've ever seen. And I've covered a few of these. Uh, And you just wonder, when is it going to end? When is this hurricane going to move on? Uh, we are feeling the strongest winds in my location that we've felt all day. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. We, we talked to some folks in uh, Abaco Island, and we're going to play that interview. We talked to them uh, just a, a few moments ago, uh, and they were saying essentially that, uh, you know, th- they've had some people, uh, private citizens, out in, uh, you know, heavy earth-moving equipment trying to rescue people from their homes uh, but it, it's not like they're seeing a lot of police and authorities. No, uh, the, the police, again, these are all very small islands. There's 700 islands in the Bahamas. And when you're on an island, help is not coming because the airport has been 
shot here. We came in on one of the last flights. You can't come here by boat, so you're on your own. Uh, the, these islands do have police. They do have uh, local authorities, but they are not out. It's too dangerous. So it's falling on the people in these communities to rescue themselves if they can, and, and, and many are just not able to be rescued tonight. They're yeah. on their own. Patrick Oppenman, uh, appreciate you being there. Stay safe, you and your team. Uh, Kelly um, uh, Mackey rode out the storm on Great Abaco. I spoke with him uh, by phone just a short time ago. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so sorry for what you're going through. Can you just start by describing where you are right now and, and what you're seeing? Is the storm still hitting you right now? Um, yes, it is. I am currently inside of a car. Um, my home, the roof is gone. It's taking in water. It's flooding everywhere, and it's unavoidable to live at right now. Um, it's very windy. We cannot see at all. The only thing we can really see is the U.S. Coast Guard's helicopters um, circling around us at the moment. Um, they're in and out taking out the ones who are seriously injured and the pregnant women. We're looking at a video that you shot. We see trees ripped apart. Uh, I mean, it just looks like the whole area you're in has has really been devastated. Uh, yes, sir, it has. Um, if you were to go any more down the hill from us, you would be trapped in the water. It's flooded everywhere. So basically up here on the higher grounds is the best place to be at the moment. But that's only if you're, you have a good coverage right now. Let's say you have a good roof that's not leaking or anything. And I saw there was a picture there of a, 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 a caterpillar uh, vehicle. It looked. Are there? Was that some? Was that a private citizen just trying to help move stuff around? Is is? Do you see people from the government there, out and about? Oh, um, they were actually trying to help us evacuate our homes during the eye of the storm. Um, as you know, the eye of the storm is the most easiest and the calmest part. Um, so they came in to try to help everybody who couldn't evacuate their homes because there were so many power lines and everyone flooding that we couldn't walk or drive our cars through. So they came and just started picking up people and took us down to a shelter. You were able to go back to your home today. Um, yes. What did you find when you uh, went home? Um, basically, just debris everywhere. Um, down from my room to upstairs, downstairs, everything is completely destroyed wiped out. Um, it's about three inches or four inches of flooding inside of my home, but only because we're actually up on top of a hill. The water hasn't really risen that high inside of our home. I, I'm looking at some videos of somebody driving in a vehicle, and I mean, they're just driving through uh, waves of water. It's almost like they're they're on, on the ocean. I guess uh, roads are just uh, swamped. Uh, yes. Um, that was before the hurricane even started and hit us fully. That was a surge. Um, that, I'm sorry, my head is really gone. But that was the surge. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really out of it. It's okay. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm really overwhelmed about everything that's going on. How, how are you holding up? Surge waves, Gordon? How are you holding up? Um, I'm trying my best. We have a lot of family and friends who are currently missing at the moment. We have a lot of babies who are trapped in homes. Um, but everybody's just separated from each other, man. It's, it's horrible. Can you, 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 I assume you can't really communicate with other people, with friends, with family or neighbors, unless you go over and see them. Yes, correct. 
and that's if they're even there or if they went somewhere else. On, on a, in a situation like this, and I know you've seen people desperate, uh, you know, trying to take food supplies uh, from stores, doing whatever they can. Uh, people need supplies here. Yes, we do. Um, supplies are actually limited now. Um, the hurricane actually destroyed most food, st- food stores here and everything that's in them. So people was actually going salvaging what they can. Um, and it wasn't really a pretty sight. Have you seen, ever seen anything like this where you are? Um, in all of my years, I have never seen anything like this at all. And I pray to God you never experience something like this again. Kelly, I, I wish you the best, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And, and I hope you, uh, you find all your loved ones and all your friends, and, and I hope help comes soon. Yes, thank you so much. Kelly McKay, uh, Florida. Preparation is next as our live hurricane coverage continues this hour. Next, of course, into the night on CNN. Also tonight, there's new information coming to light in that shooting rampage in Texas over the weekend. Also, the search for survivors with dozens missing and the death toll rising after a deadly fire at sea just off the California coast. We'll be right back. Hurricane Dorian, as we've been telling you, is now stalled over the Bahamas, still a Category 4 storm, still doing damage, still flooding communities in places where, as Patrick Oppmann just reported before the break, there simply is no high ground. Once the hurricane starts moving again, it's expected to come dangerously close to Florida's Atlantic coast. Mandatory evacuation orders are now in effect for parts or all of 11 counties in the state, including where Randy Kay is on Singer Island in Palm Beach County. Randy, uh, you are in an evacuation zone there in Palm Beach County. First of all, what's what's going on? What are you feeling? Uh, and, And what's the situation been like all day for you? Um, it's been a really strange weather day, Anderson. Right now, I'm feeling uh, like I'm getting pelted by some pretty heavy rain that's coming in. But it's been a really weird day. We had sunshine. We had uh, really heavy winds at some points. Then that would dissipate. Uh, we had sand blowing, uh, kicking up. But then that would calm down. So uh, the weather and Dorian just can't make up their mind, I guess. But um, we are on the beach on Singer Island, which is uh, part of West Palm Beach here in southern Florida. And we are in that evacuation zone, as you mentioned, Zone B. We were called to evacuate here yesterday afternoon. Most people did. Uh, The beach is too dark to show you now, but it's pretty quiet. There's nobody down here, but there were some folks down here earlier today. Just curious about mostly the water here behind me. I don't know if you can uh, see it, but it's really rough. It's usually very calm here. It's a great area to snorkel in. The water is really crystal clear and blue. Um, But today it would be a surfer's paradise, Anderson, if we weren't on the verge of a a hurricane and and those heavy winds coming our way. But here in, in Palm Beach, the international airport's already closed. The the uh, businesses nearby along the beach, they've all boarded up as well. So uh, it's it's not a great situation here on Singer Island, Anderson. You know, and mandatory evacuations are mandatory evacuations, but they're not actually usually mandatory. Have most people left? Um, well, I'm looking for the direction that I'm looking in. I can see the high rises that uh, dot this beach, and there are a lot of probably too many lights on, to be honest with you. Uh, So that tells me that not everybody did evacuate. The buildings here are built for hurricane winds. Uh, The building that we're staying in actually can withstand 165 mile an hour winds on the lower floors, Um, but high up, it's more dangerous. In fact, the building we're next to um, had some really serious hurricane damage years ago. The people had had to move out for three years. So they're not
not all ready for a, a storm like this if it does uh, make landfall in this area. But there are plenty of lights on, probably too many for officials to uh, to be thrilled with, Anderson. Well, Randy, I know it's been a long day for you, probably going to be a long night. I appreciate you and your team being out there. Thank you. Be careful. Uh, we'll check in with you shortly. I want to go next to Cocoa Beach, where the mayor, Ben Malik is overseeing preparations. Mayor Malik, your city is under a mandatory evacuation. Are, are people actually following that order and getting out? Yeah, for the most part, we, we seem to have a, a lot of compliance. So far, I'm not left. I'm my wife there in Orlando. Um, you know, hopefully this wobbles the peace continues. Mr. Mayor, I got, Mr. Mayor, I'm sorry, I got to interrupt. For some reason, uh, the audio now is 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 clicking out on us, so I, we can't really hear what you're saying. We're going to try to reestablish contact with you because uh, I know you're at the fire station. Uh, you're you're with a lot of officials. You're in the right place. We'll just try to reestablish contact uh, clearer. Uh, that was Mayor Malik in Cocoa Beach as Hurricane Dorian was plowing into Bermuda. The question is, how did President Trump spend his time, and what do you have to say about the devastation so far? We'll tell you. Updating the breaking news, the prime minister of the Bahamas says the Hurricane Dorian has claimed the lives of at least five people there. And as the storm is now barreling towards the United States, President Trump spent much of his day playing golf. He visited the Trump National Golf Club in Sterling, Virginia, the 227th time he's been at one of his own golf clubs as president. And when he wasn't golfing, he was attacking political foes on Twitter including New York Times columnist Paul Krugman, or Krugman, the head of the AFL-CIO uh, and the Washington Post. In the meantime, he also retweeted warnings from the National Hurricane Center, which is nice. The, president, uh, the White House says that the president received regular briefings about the storm while playing golf. Seeing as Pamela Brown is at the White House for us tonight. So what is the White House's rationale for the president being on the golf course as the hurricane moves toward the U.S.? Well, Anderson, the White House is only saying that he was briefed hourly while on the golf course for several hours today. It was one of his golf clubs uh, not far from the White House in Sterling, Virginia. But, Anderson, the president clearly doesn't care about the optics of, of being at the golf course. In fact, it was the second time he went golfing over this Labor Day weekend. And that has drawn criticism for the president to go golfing while Hurricane Dorian is threatening the United States. And critics also point to, Anderson, uh, the, the past comments from Trump. Trump on President Obama. As you right. recall, in the campaign trail, he went after President Obama for golfing. He said it was a waste of taxpayer dollars, uh, that he should be spending his time otherwise focusing on government work. And, the, and Trump even said at the time that he would be too busy to go golfing. Well, as you said, Anderson, to put it into context, this was his 227th day at one of his golf clubs since he took office. Right. It would be one thing if he had not gone after the former president about golfing and mm -hmm. said that he would never go golfing because he'd be too busy and doing too important work and winning so much. Uh, I mean, it's not us nitpicking. It's using his own criteria of for judging other presidents. Uh, and by his own criteria, right. he sure is golfing a lot. He also made very confusing comments uh, yesterday mm -hmm. saying that this is not that this is the the I mean, this is not the first uh, category five hurricane to threaten the U.S. since he took office. And yet 
uh, he seemed to indicate that he had never heard of a uh, of, of a current Category 5 hurricane. Yeah, he seems stunned uh, by the fact that Hurricane Dorian has strengthened to a Category 5. So he didn't even know a Category 5 existed. Uh, but if you go back and look at his past comments, uh, Anderson, he has made five such comments since 2017. And there have been four Category 5 hurricanes since Trump has been in office. Now, not all of those made landfall, uh, but still it is notable. So if any president should have intimate knowledge of a Category 5 hurricane, it should be President Trump, which is why that comment at the FEMA headquarters where he got that briefing did draw scrutiny. The fact that he acted so baffled by this, the idea that, that there's a Category 5 hurricane, that that even exists. And, and forgive me if I, I don't have the, the, the read in on this because I, I was uh, overseas, but correct me if I'm wrong. It, at some point over the last day, was he also tweeting after Deborah Messing, the actress, about comments she had allegedly once made to him about how grateful she was for The Apprentice? Absolutely right. I believe that was yesterday. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was targeting Deborah Messing over Twitter. But I mean, just to put this into context, yes, he, he went after her. But then he's going after the head of a, a union, a prominent head of a union. He's going after James Comey once again. He's going after the media. So he's been going after many other targets, right. uh, many after other issues outside of the core issue right now, which is Hurricane Dorian. Remember, he canceled his trip to Poland, this important trip to Poland over the weekend so that he could stay in the United States and monitor the hurricane and get those updates. But he clearly yeah. uh, has other things on his mind no, as well. Yeah. Anderson. He's, he's monitoring the Deborah Messing situation uh, and his memory of that and The Apprentice, which he's bringing up again, yet again. Yes. Uh, it's incredible. Van Brown, thank you very much. You've heard yeah, you. uh, of a number of our guests and reporters refer to rescue operations underway in the Bahamas, including help from the U.S. Coast Guard. Chef Jose Andres is helping out, too, having set up more than a dozen kitchens. He sent out this video yesterday with his crews getting ready, even as the storm was intensifying. Well, sadly, as we reported a moment ago, at least five people on Abaco, that island, have now lost their lives. I spoke with uh, Chef Jose Andres, uh, who uh, has an organization called uh, World Central Kitchen. Uh, he worked in, in Houston during Harvey. He really kind of perfected it, uh, sadly, in, uh, in the aftermath of the hurricane and the devastation in uh, Puerto Rico. I spoke to, uh, to Jose Andres just a few moments ago. Jose, you're in the Bahamas right now. You actually rode out the storm from there. What was it like at, at the storm's peak? And, and what are you seeing now? What kind of devastation are you seeing? Listen, uh, at the storm's peak, I was in Nassau, so we were really on the edge of the hurricane. But even being on the edge of the hurricane, we saw winds in the north of 80, 90 miles per hour. Imagine what the people in Abaco Islands and the Grand Bahamas were going through. So... Uh, here in Nassau, you know, some water flooding, but nothing compared to what we are seeing on the videos that everybody's sharing in social media right now. We cannot wait to arrive there. Here you see already a lot of volunteers helping us get food ready. We have uh, uh, one boat that is going to be filled up with 
uh, food and equipment. We have a helicopter in Fort Lauderdale and also here in Nassau. And we hope that tomorrow will be the day that we can finally arrive and see what's going on and start finding the kitchens and start cooking. So, I mean, this is something you have been training for now for quite some time. I mean, I saw you in Houston during Harvey, of course, in in, uh, your extraordinary work with a lot of chefs and a lot of volunteers in uh, um, in Puerto Rico. Explain how you're working, where you are right now. You got to clearly you're in a kitchen. You already have volunteers. Do you have food? Are you already making meals? We are already making sandwiches because that's very easy. Uh, Tomorrow I'm going to go uh, in a quick ride in a helicopter, and we cannot bring a lot of weight uh, with us. So that's the first arrival. But what really we are doing is this. We have a lot of support uh, already. The government of Bahamas, I was talking briefly to the prime minister yesterday, uh, a lot of the private sector. We are in the kitchens of Atlantis, where the biggest resort, the biggest employee in the island. They're giving us all the support. And obviously, we have a lot of volunteers and also many people that they are here as tourists that they decided to join us and start helping us. So right now is getting ready, making sure that we get communications from uh, Abaco and Grand Bahamas. We know we have some hotels there that they did uh, okay after the hurricane. So we're going to be using those hotels for making those kitchens, the relief kitchens, to start feeding the people in the different shelters. And um, I think we're going to be here for quite some weeks. I, you know, one of the things you said to me in Puerto Rico when I was going around with you, I remember very distinctly, and I thought it was so important, is that what you're doing is not just feeding somebody, you're making a connection with somebody, and you're saying to that person, essentially, we see you, we care about you, uh, we're thinking about you, we know about you. You know, sometimes when we start going to every community every single day, in the moment that they see that food is coming, people began opening to you and and you began learning of the people that need medicines, of the people that need a generator because they need a breathing machine. All of a sudden, when you do contact with the communities, you learn about the reality of those communities. And then we don't do that, but we know who to reach to make sure that we are providing everything the communities need. We have even a kitchen ready to go in Wilmington if the uh, hurricane keeps moving forward. So we have multiple teams ready to take care of the people in Bahamas, but also uh, in um, Florida and beyond if necessary. What do you need from, from people? What do you need? Listen, in these moments, you know what happens? We saw it in Puerto Rico. Everybody is very generous. Everybody starts sending things. We need to make sure that we follow the lead of the prime minister of the government of Bahamas. I remember seeing an entire container of Advil pills. In Puerto Rico was so much Advil that they have enough Advil for the next hundred years. We need to make sure that we follow the people that know best and that we don't start donating for, uh, you know, feeling good. So your plan for the coming days is what? My plan for the coming days is just making sure that at least we activate one kitchen each on each uh, on the islands, plus this kitchen here in Nassau, so we can be sending uh, some food through helicopters. Uh, I think we're going to have some areas that they are going to be difficult to reach by uh, the road uh, for the next few days, few weeks. So I think if we can have this kitchen here uh, and be sending the food through helicopters and doing drops like we did in Puerto Rico in the early weeks. So we'll have three kitchens, if I can, in the next week, uh, 10 days, and we'll reach as many people as 
uh, they will need uh, the food. Just one, uh, you know, just on a personal level, Jose, I mean, you're one of the most famous chefs in the world. You got restaurants all over the place. This is not something you have to be doing. What, what, I mean, I know you started, this became something you were interested in doing and you kind of learned how to do it and you invented a kind of a new way of doing it. What keeps you going in this? I mean, uh, Anderson, I, I, you know, I, I don't do this because it's fun. I do this because I, be, I believe our expertise uh, is needed. Um, uh, I think it's the role of every, every citizen to do to do little bit to the betterment of the lives of others. I, I, I'm blessed to have teams that they are very committed to do this, not only in America, but around the world. This year we've been in Indonesia, Mozambique, Venezuela, Colombia. We're still there. So why don't use that talent to bring relief to fellow citizens? This, to me, is not my work. This is a passion. Mm. Uh, to provide meals to the few is great, but I love to provide meals to the many. And quite frankly, uh, that's what I'm going to keep doing for the rest of my life. Jose Andreas, I'm glad you're there. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have more breaking news just ahead. Up next, some surprising new details in the moments just before and after another devastating mass shooting. This one by a man who had been stopped for minor traffic violation in West Texas and went on to kill seven and wound 25. More breaking news tonight. Authorities in West Texas are still wrestling with the aftershocks of another mass shooting. Seven people died. More than two dozen were injured. And some truly bizarre information surfaced today in the wake of the Saturday shootings, including the fact that, according to authorities, the gunman called 911 twice as the rampage was going on. Ed Levendera has tonight's details. Oh, God, they're shooting right there. Fifteen minutes before the 36-year-old gunman engaged in a deadly shooting spree, he called a FBI national tip line with a rambling, incoherent series of complaints. He had been fired from a truck driving job earlier in the day and also called 911, but left the office before police arrived. Even before being fired, law enforcement says he was starting to spiral. He showed up to work in a very distressed mental state, so it's not because he got fired. Right? This did not happen because he was fired, which other active shooters have occurred. When he showed up to work, he was already uh, enraged. There are also troubling questions about where the gunman obtained the assault-style rifle used to randomly murder seven people and wound at least 25 others in Odessa, Texas. Investigators say the gunman failed a background check but still somehow managed to obtain the firearm. Investigators have not revealed why the shooter failed the background check. ATF, with, in partnership with the FBI, DPS, and all the other federal, local, federal and local agencies are aggressively following up on the source of the supply for the firearm on this. The shooting started Saturday afternoon after a routine traffic stop. The gunman started firing randomly as he drove around the city. Authorities say he then shot and killed U.S. postal carrier Mary Granados before taking her mail truck and continuing the shooting spree through the city. Mary was FaceTiming with her twin sister when the shooting erupted. She was screaming, so I, I mean, I was hoping that it could have been a, just a dog bite, you know, but it wasn't. It was something worse. The call then went silent. She was laying there. I just wanted to run to her and hug her, you know, kiss her. 
Did you? I didn't. I didn't get to. They wouldn't let me get close to her. CNN sat down for a one-on-one -on -one interview with FBI Special Agent in Charge Christopher Combs, who says he's seen too many mass shootings up close. He gets emotional trying to talk about how this should be a wake-up call to the country. The phone rings yesterday. You get the call about this. And whatever's going through your mind, it, is, it makes you tear up, which is not something that we normally see from an FBI. I can't. I can't do that. I'm sorry, man. There's no way. And what more can you tell us about the, the survivors of the attack? How are they doing? Well, we have a couple of updates on uh, some of the 25 uh, people that were wounded in this shooting rampage. The 17-month-old girl, Anderson Davis, that you've uh, heard so much about, she was the one that had to be airlifted to a hospital in Lubbock uh, to receive treatment. Uh, treatment. She was wounded uh, in, in, in the mouth. Uh, we are told that she is out of surgery and has already returned home here to the Odessa area and that she is doing well. And we've also been told by Odessa police that their officer, uh, James Santana, who was wounded here at the very end of the chase of the suspect. This is the back of the theater uh, where it all ended on Saturday afternoon. James Santana is also doing well, and the, that officer, we're we are told, uh, will be released from the hospital tomorrow, Anderson. That's great news. Um, Ed Lavendera, appreciate it. Thanks for being able to talk to, by the way, a teacher who knows that little girl's family uh, about how exactly she's doing. Uh, her, I mean, it's amazing that she is alive. Breaking news tonight in that diving boat fire disaster off the Southern California coast. Eight people now confirmed dead after flames swept across the boat near Santa Cruz Island. It was in the middle of the night. Authorities said a short time ago that they're working to recover four of those victims from the ocean floor. More than 12 hours later, 26 people are still missing. The flames tore through the 75-foot boat, as you can see, after 3 a.m. local time. Many victims were below deck in the sleeping area. Five crew members who were awake were rescued after they jumped off of the boat. But the fate of one crew member isn't clear. NTSB investigators are headed to the scene. Sarah Seidner will bring us a live report from California on the many questions in this breaking story uh, in our next hour. The news is obviously difficult on many fronts tonight, but we're going to take a brief respite to share something fun with you. Conan O'Brien heard President Trump's wish to buy Greenland. Up next, the late night uh, comedy legend shows us how he is taking a hands-on approach to make that happen. We'll preview his new special, and Conan joins us live. Well, it may seem like light years ago that news broke that President Trump wanted to buy Greenland. Such is the nature of the news cycle in the Trump era. It was actually just two weeks ago. Greenland is notably not for sale. It's also technically part of the Kingdom of Denmark. The whole bizarre story prompted Conan O'Brien to make the trip over to Greenland. Watch. Do you mind if I say a quick prayer? Yeah. Dear God, may Greenland soon become part of the United States, whether they want to or not. Amen. <laughs> hey, kids, you have a good day at school today? What did you learn? <laughs> Nothing. You're going to love America. You're going to love America. Conan O'Brien's new special, Conan and Greenland, premieres tomorrow night at 10, 9 central on TBS. He joins me now from Los Angeles uh, with a preview. Um, I mean, I did, when you first heard that President Trump wanted to buy Greenland, I mean, I kind of thought it was a joke. And of course, it turned out to be real. What yeah. made you decide you should go there? 
Well, first of all, uh, uh, Trump is a real estate man, President Trump. He knows real estate. And so, yeah, the media likes to mock a lot of his ideas. I thought there could be something here. Right. And a lot of people like yourself were making jokes. And I thought, why make jokes? Someone should go there. Someone responsible, someone revered, someone trusted should go to Greenland, kick the tires on this deal and see if we can make it happen. Yeah. So I jumped on a plane and I got there and I looked into it because that's what I do. Yeah. By the way, I should point out, I was in Greenland years ago doing a yeah. uh, story on climate change. I uh, d- did you and I uh, I I pooped in an, a shigloo. Have you ever done that? That's what, you know, an igloo. Are you okay, Anderson? Is <laughs> no. it the beard? What's going on with you? Are you having a breakdown of some kind? What's wrong with you? By the way, it looks good. You look like a very tidy wizard. Uh, <laughs> it's not uh, really much. It's all I could do in 9 days off. It's all yeah, I yeah. Do. No, it looks like you uh, you did you briefly dipped your chin into a sugar bowl. It looks fantastic, though. Everyone's it, loving it. I call it the Blitzer Beard Challenge. So. Yeah, yeah. No, well, he won. Guess what? He won. <laughs> a wolf shaves every morning, and then that grows in the next two gonna, hours. That's what happens see, when you have a name, Wolf. I'm going to see how long they allow me to keep it because everybody's yeah. off today in management, so I feel like they're yeah. not watching. Um, but back well, to Greenland. Yes, back to Greenland. I went there uh, and I wanted to see how do they feel about it? Americans were very self-involved. How do the people of Greenland feel about it? So I went there. It turns out they are not for it. They love their country the way it is. Right. Uh, I had a lot of difficulty. I tried to make the deal. Did they know Uh, who you were? Because when you went to South Korea, I mean, I remember you getting off the plane and being greeted at the airport. I mean, you were like Elvis. Yeah. You were, then yeah. you were in a K-pop video. Did people in Greenland know who you were? They thought I was Kate Blanchett. <laughs> and uh, so, um, and I, I got, and she's apparently huge there. So uh, I, I would have gone I for, several, I, I thought they would think you were like Tilda Swinton. Yeah, no, I, I, they did think I was Tilda Swinton until they thought I was Kate Blanchett. <laughs> uh, I'm a shapeshifter. What can I say? Yeah, uh, because of... Um, some did not, but a lot of younger people do because of YouTube. So right. they knew. And they actually what's interesting is I announced on my show I'm going to Greenland. So they knew that I was that I had said I was going to come. Right. What's amazing is how surprised they were that I actually came. They couldn't <laughs> believe that I came. They said nobody comes here except for Anderson Cooper yes, yes. about 12 years ago. And then they talked about your little incident. Uh, <laughs> I, want, I want to play another clip because, uh, you know, you're very worldly. I know when you're in another culture, you like to immerse yourself in that culture. You did a show from yes, Mexico. You delivered your monologue in really, I think, perfect Spanish. Thank um, you. you. You did, uh, uh, you tried to read the weather on a TV show in Greenland on a news report, I believe. This, I, I, I didn't try, I did. Yeah, you did. I read okay. the weather in the Icelandic language, which is very difficult. Yeah. Uh, imagine someone just poured uh, vowels into a shotgun and shot them at you. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. I want to play this. I want to play this. I, I, I did do it, and it went out. This went out all over the air. Okay, let's watch. Good evening. I'm Tony O'Brien, and I'm bringing you the latest weather report for Greenland. I will give the report in the Greenlandic language. Because let's face it, how hard could it be? Apagu, Arfinin Gangarambi, Silasamarik Ilamasarit Takatelapurit Isiganalarisi. 
Ilogafarni, a sigling idiocy, so a sonic ilamas reap, ticketanic vetery, so a we we left it early. I'm that's wow. Yeah, and that actually went out all over Greenland. That was their weather report for the night. And so uh, then I left there and I w- was going to, sh- uh, you know, try and record some other segments around the, the capital of Nuuk. And people were yelling out their car windows, just saw you do the weather. I mean, it was uh, and I think I actually got three words right. Uh-huh. So yeah. good for me. I, I'm surprised they didn't like ground all the planes after that weather report because nobody I don't know what you were saying. I am um, I am not welcome back. Let's just put it that way. I did manage when I was there to uh, to visit a real estate office because I really wanted to make this happen. I visited government officials. I attempted to bribe them. That'll mm-hmm. be in the special. I visited a real estate office and I offered to split the commission on the deal, the six oh. percent, uh, with the realtor, and he agreed. And that would be $30 billion, I think, for each of us. So that would be his year. That would make him right. good for the yeah. whole year. Uh, Conan O'Brien, it's always great to have you on. Thanks. Very nice to, uh, to see you, Anderson, and keep growing that beard. You're five years from having a full beard. <laughs> uh, you can catch Conan in Greenland tomorrow night on TBS. Conan, thanks. Tonight, we're watching a Hurricane Dorian slow and ominous march, of course, toward the U.S. It's already claiming lives as it ravages the Bahamas. We've got three teams there and across the southeast, along with the newest forecast next. 